In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Edward Lyon about tax planning for e-commerce. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 18. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the podcast that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulesky. I'm here today with Edward Lyon. Edward is the founder and chief tax strategist of Tax Tax Coach Software. I brought Edward on the show today because I wanted to talk a little bit about tax planning for e-commerce. Um, I have a lot of questions that I think a lot of people are interested in, so I wanted to uh, say hi, Edward. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, excellent. It's great having you on. There's, um, I think, a lot of confusion and a lot of kind of questions around tax and tax planning and just the whole kind of thing around just business in general and e-commerce also just out of, you know, working with different vendors in different states. So I want to kind of bring you on and pick your brain a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've heard the infinite monkey theorem. <laughs> theorem, if you take an infinite number of monkeys and give them an infinite number of typewriters, eventually one of them is going to bang out Hamlet. Yes. Well, when, when they're not banging out Hamlet, they're banging out the tax rules. It kind of feels like that. It, Doesn't uh, it? Yeah. Before the show, we were talking about some, you know, some high-level stuff, and I'm already, <laughs> uh, uh, my brain's already going on some of these things, and th- there's just so much here. And where do you start? What's kind of the first thing when you're, you know, talking, talking with someone new, or, you know, what are the things to even consider, and just kind of the the baby steps here. Well, the first thing you need to understand is exactly what sort of tax you're dealing with. So, we've got income tax, which is an e-commerce retailer at the end of the year makes $100,000. How much tax do they owe the IRS? That's one entire funnel of tax issues. There's a different funnel of and, tax issues, which tax... And that's based on the profit, right? $100,000 that is That is based on the profit and the nature of the expenses. So uh, to use an e-commerce term, that's, a, that's one particular funnel of taxes. Then there's an entirely different funnel, which tax professionals call, call SALT, state and local taxes. And this is local income taxes, but also local sales taxes. And there really is a lot more going on in the SALT arena for e-commerce retailers simply because there's there's developing consensus on what should be subject to sales tax, what should not be subject to sales tax. You know, 15 years ago, Amazon got their start largely by avoiding state level in, uh, state level uh, sales taxes. That was their uh, their big uh, uh, big competitive advantage. Now, 15 years later. We've got a developing consensus that e-commerce is subject to state income taxes in whatever state that you're shipping a good to or perhaps providing a service in. Uh, now Amazon has uh, other ways to, to dominate the world. Because 15 years ago, their whole um, loophole around taxes was saying they have a place of business just in, I think it was one or two states, um, minimum number of states. That's a place of business, so they shouldn't, and it wasn't. Let's say they didn't have a place in a place of business in New right. York, if, California. If they, yeah, if they shipped into Kentucky yep. and they didn't have a physical location, what we call a nexus, then they should not be subject to the Kentucky sales tax simply because they were sh- shipped into Kentucky. Now, of course, Amazon 
was a logistics company as much as anything else, and they have a physical presence in nearly every state in the country. I can't imagine there's a state where they don't have a, a physical distribution center. So the... Uh, the nexus issue is solved because they have a, a physical nexus in, in most, if not all, of the states, but also uh, the states have banded together, and the consensus has become that if you are doing business in a state, even if you're doing business online, that you should be subject to those sales taxes. And states get around the sales tax issue in a lot of cases by asking, uh, having what they call a tax. And a use tax is a sales tax that's not collected by the region. I'm in Ohio. On my Ohio tax form, it asks me, did I make any purchases that were not subject to sales tax that should be subject to the use tax? And then it asks me to itemize all of those purchases. Uh, Ohio is doing a pretty good job of collecting sales tax. So uh, on my online, uh, my online ordering, I'm not paying the use tax, but I am paying it in the sales tax. So, uh, so first of all, a couple of questions. It, when you say a nexus in a particular state, what? How do you define that? Because I know we we're talking um, before Typically the show. Typically, it's, it's a physical presence. Okay, so how about if you're drop shipping and you have a you work with a vendor that ships out of that state? Is that considered a nexus? Or? Well, ask the state. Okay. Ask the state. Unfortunately, you've got 50 different states that are making this determination on their own. Okay, so they could be so in some states yes, some states no. It really depends. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And and states have different sales tax regimes. For example, in Ohio, where my company Tax Coach is headquartered, online subscription services are subject to sales tax. So we pay, we collect and pay over Ohio sales tax for our Ohio members. But that's the only state where we are, uh, where we're collecting that because we only have one physical location, and that is in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, so then you only require to charge tax if the seller and purchaser is both in that state that you have a physical location. Correct. Okay, is that still true today, or has that changed with Amazon? Or uh, I, you know, my my primary area of expertise is the income tax planning rather than the state and local tax planning. My understanding is that it is. On the state where you are located, different states have take take different approaches towards it. Even on the income tax side, for example, if you live and work in New York State for your career, and you put a lot of money into your four hundred one k when you're working in New York, New York doesn't get the income tax on that four hundred one k money. Then, if you move to Florida to retire and you start taking the money out of the four hundred one k, well, part of the reason you move to Florida is because it's sunnier than in New York, but part of the reason is the tax climate is sunnier as well. Yes. There's no income tax on your 401k in Florida, but New York is going to say, hey, wait a minute, we didn't get any tax money, we didn't get any taxes on this money when you stuffed it in the 401k, so we're going to try and reach out and tax your retirement income. So different hmm. states have different levels of persnicketiness on all of that, and it really is incumbent upon a uh, an e-commerce retailer to understand exactly what the the potential liability is. Now, if you're if you're only shipping a thousand dollars worth of merchandise to South Dakota in a year. By the way, did you know we have two Dakotas? <laughs> I've heard. 
I have no idea why what we need with a second Dakota. But you may not be you may not be shipping a whole lot a lot there. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're if you're located in Boston and you're shipping a hundred thousand worth of merchandise to locations in the state of Massachusetts, you're you're pretty clearly going to be subject to that. Okay, so there's so you kind of have to really approach it state by state. You, you, you really do. You have to approach it state by state, and you have to do your homework. And how, is there a case where you have no physical presence in South Dakota? You're shipping to South Dakota, though. Somehow it's $100,000. Um, you know, your business is very popular there. But you uh, should look at tax in South Dakota. Is that ever something you should consider, or is that? Uh, what kind of tax in South Dakota? Uh, Income tax or? Uh, no, local state. Uh, local uh, well sales sales tax sure. uh, certainly is is going to be more obvious and easier for a state to collect because it's based on the gross sales. Whereas an income tax is harder for a state to collect. You've got to allocate a portion of the profit to a particular state, and that that opens up all sorts of cans of worms. Let's say you do a billion dollars worth of business and half a million dollars worth of profit. And a hundred thousand dollars of your gross sales are allocated to a particular state. You might think, okay, uh, that's 10% of my gross sales. 10% of my gross profit should be allocated to that particular state and pay tax on it. But if you've got different profit margins on different merchandise or services, yep. you know, maybe your profit margin on heavy winter coats is higher than your profit margin on swimsuits. Maybe you really are making more of your profit in South Dakota. Uh, this is this is why, uh, as I mentioned before the show, this is white type jaguars <laughs> yes it sounds it sounds like there's something you need help with even um you know no matter who you are you need someone to really help dig into this and it doesn't actually also sound like it's a yeah. you know a or b type thing it's this kind of gray area of you know you could pay a little more you could pay a little less it really depends how you want to look at it uh people think that taxes are straightforward people think that taxes are all about math yeah and really, any competent fourth grader can handle the arithmetic. If the sales tax is 7.5%, it's not hard to multiply $100,000 in sales by a 7.5% tax. The math part is easy. It's the words. Is this a sale? Is this subject to South Dakota jurisdiction? On the income tax planning, it's even more of a word game. So e-commerce retailers can deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses. Well, ordinary and necessary, that that's, leaves a lot of wiggle room. That yes. leaves a lot of wiggle room. One man's ordinary and necessary is another man's extravagant, yep. is another retailer's, what the hell are you thinking about? <laughs> you know, so it, it really is about definitions and, and words more than, uh, than numbers. And, and ultimately, it's planning. So the biggest mistake that most business owners make when it comes to tax planning is they treat uh, treat taxes in general as an exercise in recording history. And it's true that most accountants focus on recording history. They put the right numbers in the right boxes on the right forms and get them filed by the right deadline. And that's uh, that's great, but then they call it a day. They do a really good job 
telling you how much you owe. Yep. But they don't do nearly as good a job telling you how to pay less. So my question for listeners to, to know what kind of accountant you've got is when was the last time your tax guy came to you and said, hey, here's an idea that I think will save you money? Okay. Yeah, for most for most listeners, they're 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 laugh they're falling out of their chair laughing right now yeah. because their accountant has never come to them and said, "Hey, here's here's an idea that I think will save you money." Has your accountant done that for you? You know, at times, yes, actually, I have. Uh, okay, yeah, terrific. It's uh, we have a good relationship, and I think he's been good with that. But I've definitely worked with other accountants before that, you know, they fill in the papers and take the numbers and yeah, give you back and here's how much you owe and. Have a great right. day. So I, I've seen right. both. I've worked with both. Right. They're, they're, they're recording history, and, and that's important. Recording yep. history is important. The IRS needs to know how much you make. Your state tax department needs to know how much you make. If you're going to get a mortgage on your house, the bank needs to know how much you make. So I'm not mocking the importance of recording history, but there is so much more to it. And if you're an e-commerce retailer or any other kind of a business owner, and you think of taxes as a once-a-year exercise where you add up the income, subtract the expenses, and send the government a check for part of what's left, then you're missing real opportunities hmm. to to plan to take specific steps that can help you pay less. Okay, I like that. So what are some things people should actually be thinking about then throughout the year? I'm guessing this starts at the beginning of the year and not the end in that case? Well, it, it starts when you start your business. It does start mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. So most business owners sit down and create a business. They'll create a, a limited liability company now in most cases, and they'll elect in a lot of cases to have that disregarded, and that's their choice of entity, their choice of tax entity. And too many businesses make that choice when they start, and they don't revisit that choice ever again. So mm -hmm. we see cases where business owners have the wrong business entity. In most cases, some form of an S-corporation entity is the best vehicle for earning a substantial income. The 2017 tax law that just passed in December creates some new advantages for S-corporations, creates some advantages for C-corporations. A lot of businesses could do very well to have an additional entity as part of their overall structure, have an S corporation, a C corporation. Mm -hmm. If they're going to own significant assets, if they're going to own real estate, typically you want to own that in a limited liability company that's taxed as a partnership. But you make these decisions once a year and you don't ever reconsider them. And when, a, when the accountant sits down to do your taxes in 2018, uh, she's going to open up her computer and she's going to open up the file and it's going to transfer all of the information from last year into this year's software. And it makes it very easy to just continue to do the same thing year after year after year without looking at that. Yeah. So as the business grows... We have, uh, you know, employees coming in. The business gets bigger. You look at benefit plans. There's a whole different set of benefit plans that you would have if you have a lot of employees than the benefit plans you might have if it's just you or just you and your spouse working in the business. So you need to look at those. You've got retirement plans. 
some people want to stash a lot of cash into a 401k or something like that for retirement. Others would rather take their business profits and reinvest it in the business and say, my business is my retirement plan. Yeah. And that's an entirely valid approach as well. So that's a that's a conversation to have with the financial advisor and with the accountant. But you don't just assume, oh, we're going to set up a 401k or, oh, we're going to set up a simple IRA and, and we're going to make contributions. You need to tailor those recommendations to the business owner. And then finally, if the business succeeds and you end up having the opportunity to sell the business, now, congratulations, that's the biggest payday of your life, but it's also the biggest tax bill of your life. Yes. And there are strategies that you can use to sell a business for literally millions of dollars without paying a dime in income taxes. Hmm. Okay. And at what point then should you start talking to someone about that sort of thing? I'm assuming. When you're in pain over the taxes that you're hmm. paying. Okay. And that's different, that's different for everybody. Yeah, I've definitely uh, had friends that sold businesses for substantial amounts of money, and they got the tax bill. And you know, the numbers are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the numbers are pretty impressive. Um, just the tax no, bill alone. So the numbers are pretty impressive, and you have to do your planning ahead of time. I uh, did some planning with a friend of mine who exited a business, and it was uh, I think he had already gotten a check for five million dollars before he called to ask what he could do. And there are some strategies that you can use to mitigate a tax bill on a $5 million check once you've gotten the check. But there's a lot more that you can do before you get that check. Okay. So this is all stuff, you know, you should be keeping in mind as you go along. And as Absolutely. you know, something's changing or maybe even multiple times a year, look into right. it. And um, a good example probably what you just said is, Maybe it makes sense to change that type of corporation at some point, but if you're not actually revisiting that every once in a while, then you would never even raise that question. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's probably the kind of thing that you revisit every two or three years. And in a lot of cases, the answer is going to be, you know what, we're in good shape. Yep. But you've got to at least ask that question and answer that question. And too many tax professionals simply aren't even asking the question. Hmm. They're really falling down on the job. What are some other things people should be asking every year, every month, every quarter, that sort of thing? Uh, every, uh, certainly every, every year, you know, are there, are there new opportunities? Is there anything, you know, has Congress passed a new, new tax bill, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, you may have noticed that the Republicans and the Democrats on Capitol Hill don't like each other very much. <laughs> they don't get along. So not a lot of opportunity to pass major tax legislation, but new IRS regulations, new tax court cases that can, can change, can create opportunities. Uh, I look at the planning process. It's a, it's a process of getting from where you are to where you want to be. Okay. So most people can sit down and take a snapshot of where they are. And what I want to look at with a client is where do you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now, not just from a tax perspective, but where, where do you want to be financially? So you've got a business, you're, you're doing well, you're doing 500,000 in sales and you're netting a hundred thousand dollars. Where do you want to be in five million in five years? Do you want to be a $5 million business? Do you want to be netting a million dollars in sales? That's great. So the goal is let's get there with as little interference from tax as possible. 
Okay. And you, you, you've heard the expression, don't let the tail wag the dog. It's possible to do a lot to avoid taxes and maybe do too much to avoid. So instead of just avoid I mean, there's a great strategy for avoiding taxes. Just don't make any money. That's, that's one of the you easiest, right? You don't, you don't pay in taxes that year and... It's easy. You don't pay, in t- yeah, and, and no. that's that's the strategy that most people take, unfortunately. But you there, you can do too much to avoid t- uh, taxes, and uh, and there there can be some bad planning as well. There are some there are some bad tax planning. There are some bad tax strategies out there that just that are oversold and aren't appropriate for for most business owners. Hmm. What would be examples something like that? Promoters. Well, uh, one that we've we've seen tax coach uh, recently. There's a a cheap. Uh, let's say you are a 45 year old middle manager working for the man. You're really proud. You've just gotten out of the cubicle farm, and now you have an actual office. But the company goes through a round of of right sizing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna call it right sizing yep. rather than layoffs. You get laid off, and you know you don't want to go to work for the man. You want to open up a business of your own, but you don't have any money to open the business except in your four hundred one k. There's a strategy. It's called a a rollover business startup. The acronym is ROBS, and I think there's a, a subtle uh, Freudian connection there that lets you open a corporation has to be a C corporation, taxable corporation, set up a retirement plan for the corporation, move your 401k money into the new corporation's retirement plan, use the money from the retirement plan to buy stock in the new corporation, and effectively you have now found financing from your new business from your old 401k. Hmm. That's a terrific opportunity to finance a business using your tax-free money. The downside is you have to operate the business as a C-corporation, and that creates all sorts of problems. That creates all sorts of long-term tax problems. For example, most business startups lose money at first, and if you're operating the business as a C-corporation, those losses are locked into the corporation. They don't pass through directly to you where they can offset other taxes. If you end up selling the business that's owned by your retirement plan, you're taking something that would get preferential capital gains treatment because when you sell assets, you pay a lower tax rate than ordinary income. Well, if it's locked up in your retirement plan, you've just taken capital gain and turned it into ordinary income. So now it's taxed at the highest rate. At the highest rates, absolutely. And if the business goes bankrupt, if the business fails, which is the case with most startup businesses, you've lost your retirement money. Yep. It's 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 a a I'm going to say it's a horrible tax strategy. It's not a tax strategy. It's it's a way to raid the 401k piggy bank yeah. with possibly not losing your money. But it's for most. For most people, it's bad advice, and our tax coach members, we have over 500 accountants across the country working with our network. Most of the tax coach members who have encountered clients in this situation have said, run away as fast as possible. Yeah, it sounds like something you're playing with fire. You know, you'll hear a small number of people that does work out, but it sounds like something that could be very dangerous for a lot of people. 
Well, and, and it's funny. It's it's typically used as a strategy for selling franchises, and a lot of mm-hmm. uh, franchise salespeople are plugged into the strategy. They're not selling the strategy because it's a good tax strategy. Yes, they're I can... selling it because it lets them get the money to make the franchise sale. And they don't need the franchise doesn't need to finance it. The four hundred one k's can they can you know the people buying the fr- the franchise can finance it using their own four hundred one k. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. But for most people, it's just idea. Yep. Okay, so that's one of the many ones to stay away from, it sounds like. Yeah. What are some kind of good things you could say, um, you know, that you'd recommend a lot of people start looking at or start planning for? Well, the key is understanding what you can do. So one of my favorite tax strategies is called the Augusta Rule. There's a loophole in the tax code that says if you rent out for no more than 14 days out of the year, you don't have to report that rental income on your taxes. That's tax-free income. But code section, I think it's 121, which includes this rule, does not limit it at the house to. So the, the idea is if you live in Boston and you rent your house out for the weekend of the Boston Marathon yep. for a family to, to watch dad run in the marathon, that that's tax-free income. Well, you can actually rent your home to as long as your business is a separate entity. To your business. Okay. Cut out for a second. I want to make sure we get that. Yeah, so you can rent your home to your business. Now, you have to determine a commercially reasonable value for your rent. Uh, it's my understanding that if you go on Zillow, you can get values for your own house. And it'll tell, you know, maybe it's $400 a day. So if you're a corporation and you have to have a shareholders meeting and a board of directors meeting, you can rent the house for that meeting. If you're going to have an employee retreat and you want to take the employees off-site, so that they're not distracted by the ringing telephones. You can have that retreat at your home. $400, that comes out of your business checkbook. Yep. It gets deducted, a business rental expense. It goes into your personal checkbook, but it does not get taxed as personal mm-hmm. income. And you Got can it. do this for up to 14 days out of the year. Got it. Okay. You're creating money. Now, very few accountants are going to come to you and say, hey, try this. If you go to your accountant and you say, hey, I've heard about something called the Augusta Rule. Can I rent my home to my business? The accountant will probably say, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. That's legal. You can do that. I've never done that before. Hmm. Most accountants just aren't proactive. But that is something that you, you certainly can do. And, and for listeners on the podcast, go Google Augusta Rule. You'll see that it's legitimate. Hmm. And that's something so even... Four hundred dollars, fourteen days. Um, you know, several thousand dollars in ta- in in taxes that you're not going to have to pay that year. It, um, right, right. You're you're creating several thousand dollars out of midair, basically. Muted, yep. Out of corresponding income. So if you're in the forty percent tax bracket with your self-employment tax, four thousand dollars. That's going to save you sixteen hundred dollars. That's free months, basically, by taking advantage of a of a tax. Now, again, there you've got to have a, a proper qualifying business purpose, and you have yep. to have a commercially reasonable rent. You can't just decide, hey, my house is really special. It's worth $10,000 a day. Yep. That's not going to fly. That's not going to fly. Imagine yourself sitting across the table from an IRS auditor and justifying the transaction. 
action. And that's, that's what, what you've got to be able to do. That's what your account has. And that's what this comes down to. If anything was in question, someone would basically be sitting across the table from you asking you, why is this number um, what exactly. it is, basically. Exactly. You have to give They're them some ask. sort of reason. Right. They're going to ask you, how did you come up with this na with this number? They're not going to laugh at you. They're not going to say, this is nonsense. This is BS. No, they're going to say, how did you come up with this number? Remember, I said at the beginning of the podcast, on the income tax, you can deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses. So what you've got to do is fit your expense within the ordinary and necessary bucket. Hmm. Okay. I like that. That's a... It's a neat little tip, actually. I've never heard of that one before. We're at the half-hour mark, but do you have one more, no. actually? Because that's, that's very interesting. I'm I, curious. I, I actually do. I have. It's, it's one of my favorite tax deductions, and I'm going to give you the code section before I tell you what it is because you're going to laugh at this, and you're going to say, no way. It's code section <laughs> 132J4. All right. You're, so you may not have a swimming pool in your backyard. But listeners in Florida, California, and Texas have a swimming pool in their backyard. Well, depending on how the business is structured, I've got five words for you. And those five words are on-premises employee athletic facility. <laughs> I see where you're going with this. Uh, it, no, no, absolutely. Code section 132J4 that a business can exclude the cost of operating an athletic facility on its premises. And there are three requirements there. It's got to be on the premises of the employer, meaning it's got to be a home-based business, hmm. which a lot of e-commerce retailers are. Yep. So that's the first requirement. Second requirement is that it has to be operated by the business, meaning it's not farmed out to a management company. And the third requirement is that Use of the facility is primarily by employees, their spouses, and their dependents. So if you have a home-based e-commerce retailer hmm. and you have a swimming pool in the backyard and you're the guy who scrubs the pool and skims the pool and does the chemicals and all that kind of stuff, and if it is you and your family who the pool you have a qualifying on-premises employer athletic <laughs> facility. Now, again, you've got to be reasonable about it. The IRS is not going to smile if you say, I spent $40,000 to put a pool in my backyard, and I'm going to deduct that. Yeah. But if you want to take the cost of the chemicals and the service that opens and closes the pool and buying a new skimmer and that kind of stuff, I'm going to argue that that's entirely reasonable. And, in fact, we have tax coach members who are using that strategy with with their clients. That's Not everybody, one. but it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah. And I know your accountant, you said earlier, has come to you with ideas to save money. He has not come to you to talk about the on-premises employer athletic facility. I do not have a pool. I do not. I, I live in the city, so I don't have a pool, but I, I don't think many accountants, period, have ever uh, talked about that. So that's interesting. No, they don't. But if, if you have a treadmill or an exercise yeah. bike in your home, then that would qualify as well. Hmm. Okay. And this is for home-based businesses, right? So in the place home of business. Home-based business, right. If you have a qualifying home office or if the business is actually based out of your home. Which makes sense, right? Because, you know, the office here, if we decide to put a gym in next door for, you know, folks to use, that Absolutely. would be a business expense. It, it actually, it, it's very, it actually makes sense from, it's not, um, it's not that right. ridiculous. It, it makes sense. 
Now, when Congress passed the tax code, when Congress passed Code Section 132J4, that's what they had in mind, was you putting a gym in your facility for your employees. Yep. They did not have in mind some clever guy saying, ha, I can use this to write off my swimming pool. Yep. That, in my mind, is the definition of a loophole. It's something that is legal under the law, even though it was not the intended result of the law. But it is but it is certainly legal, and I would not feel guilty taking advantage of that opportunity for a client who meets those conditions. I like that. Okay, these are some pretty uh, interesting tips. I have a feeling folks are going to want uh, to hear more of this and kind of figure out how they could, uh, you know, get in touch with a tax professional that could kind of help steer them in a direction like this, because it could be very useful. Well, ab absolutely. They can, they can go... A tax coach software is, is a network of about 500 accountants and financial advisors who are using the strategic planning. Our parent company is called Financial Gravity. It's a provider of uh, fractional family office services out of Dallas. And if you want to work with someone who can bring these strategies to your own business, to financialgravity.com, and uh, you could learn all about finding somebody to work with. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes, because I have a feeling, you know, first couple tips definitely good, and if you could really go into this with someone, it could be, um, you know, a few thousand dollars here, a few, few thousand dollars there. That's It adds up very quickly um, when it comes to tax saving. You know, d d depending on the, you know, and, and I wanted to give examples that would be relevant for the, the vast majority of the listeners to the podcast, including yep. a lot of, of, of new and, and startup businesses. There are some more advanced strategies, things like a uh, an enterprise risk management plan that would let a, a business deduct up to $2.3 million a year and essentially use that money as a, as, a, as a piggy bank for the business, for the business owner, uh, and eliminate taxes on that entire amount for bigger companies. So really? there, there are all sorts of strategies for all different sizes and shapes of business. The key is, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, it's planning. You can't wait until April 15th to give your accountant a stack of receipts and expect her to do magic. I, she's good, but the, she's not that good. So, example, the on-premise athletic facility, that's something you want to think about at the beginning of the year and start saying, here's our plan, this is what we're right. going to do. How's that, you know, how's right. that look? Um, yeah, right. not, not just uh, have an e-commerce business and, you know, dump some receipts for chlorine and a skimmer on the desk and say. Exactly, exactly. There's there's a, an employee benefit that you can set up for your family, depending on whether you qualify, called a medical expense reimbursement plan. Yep. And you can write off your daughter's braces as a business expense. You can write off your LASIK surgery as a business expense. But the plan has to be set up ahead of time. You can't just sit down on April 15th and say, oh, I'm going to gather up some medical receipts and I'm going to throw them on the business return. It doesn't work that way. You've got to do your homework ahead of time. Because in that case, money, I, I actually, I have an actual little knowledge about that one. You have to allocate the money ahead of time um, to the plan raise. It's not something you... Well, no, no, actually you don't. Oh. A medical expense reimbursement plan, you only, you only, you, you don't have to spend anything unless and until you have a qualifying business expense. Hmm. So it's unlike a health savings account. Where okay, that's what I'm saying. That's what you're thinking. Right. This is a medical expense reimbursement plan. It's it's totally different. But it has to be set up beforehand to qualify, and the money has to come out of the business. So you need to either pay the expenses directly out of the business or reimburse the employees for their expenses out of the business during the year. You can't just wait until April 15th and say, oh, here's a $3,000 receipt for LASIK, and I'm going to call it a business expense even 
though I pay my own pocket. Yeah. That 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 uh, expense reimbursement plan leads to my other favorite tax deduction, and that is sacrifice. What, what was that again? Which I know you're. Yeah, yeah you oh, heard me. Voodoo animal sacrifice. Uh, the, right, the, the audio skipped a bit. I wanted to make sure we got that. <laughs> Voodoo animal sacrifice. The tax court has ruled that you can medical deduction for Christian science practitioner fees and Navajo Indian medicine man rituals. So under the same logic, your voodoo animal sacrifice is a deductible <laughs> medical expense as long as it's part of a religious ceremony for healing purposes. Oh. And do you, do you want to tell the voodoo queen she can't deduct her chickens? <laughs> I, I, I think our, your listeners in New Orleans are, are chuckling, but, but a couple of them are they're, they're looking at the family pets and thinking, hmm... Yeah, I don't know every e-commerce business they could use that one, but that that might be an edge case though. That one. That that might be edgy, but yeah. but again, I I guarantee that your accountant is not telling you that you can write off your voodoo animal sacrifice. That has never come up in the session, so I definitely uh that's that's a unique one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it, and this is one of those things too. Um, I've talked to people early on in a, you know a business that are trying to file the taxes themselves, and you know save a little money on an accountant or that sort of thing. Um, uh, I've always said people away from that, but what are your thoughts on that one? Uh, it's nuts. It's, yeah. it's penny wise and pound foolish. It's stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. Yeah. A, a good account. And here's the great thing about a good accountant. If they bring you an idea to save you money, they can quantify that for you. If you're running your business as a sole proprietorship and I show you how to set up an S-corporation to minimize employment tax, at the end of the year, I can look at the numbers and I can say, my strategy saved you 6000 or $8,000 or $12,000. A good accountant can quantify their value. And it's very you. easy for them to justify their fees. Very, to quantify. very yeah. easy to justify their fee. Yep. What you're really buying when you go to an accountant for tax planning, you're buying dollars at a discount. Yep. The accountant's fee might be $3,000 or $4,000 to do a proactive plan, but if they can save you $50,000 over the next five years, you know, if I knew that I could go to the casino in downtown Cincinnati <laughs> with $3,000 and walk out with fifty, yep. I would not be on this podcast with you, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those things you don't want to, uh, you know, walk into the the local, uh, you know, those little accounting stores that pop up every year on the street right. corner. and No, you, you don't want to do that. And, and if you think you're going to save some money by going to some crappy storefront tax preparer who's in a, you know, a crummy strip center between a payday lender and a tattoo yeah. parlor, no. Okay. I think that's definitely uh... – there's a, there's a place for those businesses, but not, not, for, not for ambitious, growing business owners. Yeah. So, and it obvious, I mean, by definition, if you're listening to this podcast, you are an ambitious, growing business owner. Yep, exactly. All right. I think that's a great place to end it, actually. So I'm definitely going to add those links in the show notes. Can you give them one more time just so uh, uh, yes. people want to find Finan you? Financialgravity.com. Okay. And they'll be, able to, they'll be able to hook you up with a proactive planner in your area. Okay. I'll definitely uh, link to that. And this was very helpful. I think... Um, I think a lot of people are going to have some more questions, so I'll definitely put your contact info there as well. And um, Terrific. Yeah, it was great Thank, having you on today. Thanks so much. It's, it's, it's always fun opening people's eyes to what they can do. Yeah, the voodoo animal sacrifice. That was a good one. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.